Hello, welcome to New Wave Coffee, a podcast by Bellwether Coffee. Here at Bellwether, we believe you can create a better industry, one that is more inclusive and sustainable. And we think that you can have a cafe that's more profitable as well. In this six episode series, we're going to take you on an audio journey to show you how you can think outside the box around topics like... The real situation for coffee farmers, the challenges they face, what they're doing about it, and what cafe owners can do about it too. As an industry, we're having trouble reaching new audiences and markets. And we're going to talk about how to make your cafe business model more resilient against all the surprises the world is going to throw at you. I'm Liz Pashad, Product Marketing Manager here at Bellwether. I started my career as a barista, I was a roaster for a long time, and I ultimately owned my own cafe and roasting company here in Seattle, and I was a green coffee importer uh, before joining Bellwether. I'm passionate about helping coffee farmers achieve sustainable livelihoods while also increasing accessibility into the coffee industry for new generations of entrepreneurs. I'm Arno Holshue. I'm the chief coffee officer here at Bellwether. I all started out as a barista some 20 years ago, and I've stuck with the industry because I love the people in the industry. I love the product. I love the way it tastes. I love caffeine. And also because I've seen this industry be a force for good in people's lives, and I want to increase the ability of coffee to do good. So today we'll be exploring the role of technology in the cafe. We're gonna be speaking to an espresso machine company and they've developed this really innovative product uh, that provides a lot of benefits to cafe owners, such that one might think that they would have taken the industry by storm. But as we explore this, we confront a pretty simple fact. Sometimes the specialty coffee industry embraces innovation and sometimes it does not. In its most basic sense, innovation provides benefits. So what's holding people back from adopting innovation and getting the benefits that it provides? We're gonna to talk to a very innovative cafe operator that has adopted a lot of these benefits and has created a unique cafe concept that embraces technology and still provides specialty coffee consumers with what they want from their cafe experience. You know, here at Bellwether, at the end of the day, we are all about appropriate innovation and appropriate technology. And we like to think outside the box. First of all, to start this story off, I went and I talked to a guy who's like a total Luddite. He likes really old fashioned stuff. Cool. I don't use a Kindle. I only read books. You know, I cook in my house with copper pans. I like getting a pan very hot and I like caramelizing my food. I don't use nonstick pans. And yet I work in the realm of technology when it comes to making coffee because I don't believe it's a compromise. I'm delighted. Who is he? <laughs> Okay, my name is Kamal Ben-Gugum. I'm the Group Commercial uh, Director of Eversys, based in Switzerland. Eversys is a Swiss manufacturer of espresso machines. So Liz, uh, for the benefit of everybody in Radioland, tell us what an Eversys is. Eversys are a brand of fully automatic espresso machines. Now let me explain what a super automatic espresso machine is. Ordinarily in a cafe, your workflow is kind of like this. You'll take a portafilter, which is the thing that holds the coffee out of the espresso machine. You hold that up to a grinder. You press a button on the grinder and some coffee goes into the portafilter. Then you'll groom that maybe. And then you put a tamper on top of the coffee in the portafilter. And then you put the portafilter back in the machine. Then you put an espresso cup underneath and press the button on the espresso machine and coffee comes out. But with a super automatic machine, it's totally different. You put an espresso cup under the machine, you press a button, and coffee comes out. And 
Eversys is known as one of the highest quality super automatic espresso machines on the market today because they have this technology that levels, we call it the e-leveling, that mimics the movements of the barista really, really closely. And it also has this technology that adjusts the grinder throughout the day as temperatures change. Where every five products, we monitor the powder quantity and the extraction time. So how is it? How's the coffee? Well, I've tasted some coffee from an Eversys, and the coffee is actually pretty good. And, you know, I think that that's borne out in the story that Kamal has to tell. So what you have to know is that for a long time, super automatics were pretty underwhelming compared to a well-trained barista. So here's the story. It was 2013. There was a moment at like a big coffee and hospitality expo called Host Milan, where, you know, Kamal is at the Eversys booth, and then a big legacy espresso machine manufacturer somebody who sort of embodies the very best of craft and, and the opposite of a fully automatic espresso machine, they came to the booth, you know, and they were just there to kind of like sniff out the competition. Uh, maybe they wanted to show off a little bit. They do make very nice espresso machines and maybe they wanted to show what their machines could that other machines couldn't do. And we had a whole team come to our booth and uh, I was talking to one of the main, main uh, guys and he said to me, well, let me try your coffees. The, the, the look on his face when he saw, first of all, the coffee coming out out of the dispensing unit into the shot glass, and he could see the crema, and he could see what he would see in one of his machines. And then when he tasted it, and to have basically his taste buds mirror what he saw with his eyes, the, the whole experience to me thought, we're at the beginning of a journey, and this is going to be an exciting journey. Hmm. So according to Kamel, it sounds like the Eversys is giving these legacy espresso machines a run for their money. Right. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about the cafe economics, is it wildly out of reach for most people? Does it not even make sense? Like, is there a world where it makes sense just to pay a barista to do the same old manual process versus buying a super auto like this? That's a really good question because uh, the machines are not cheap, right? But Kamal walked me through a different way of thinking about that question. A really good barista will cost you in the US, what, $35,000, $40,000 a year, if not more. That's two machines. The machines don't take days off. They don't have headaches. They always seem to be polite as long as you maintain them well. So what Kamal is positing here is that Nervous pays for itself. And you know, a good barista may cost you more than $40,000 a year. So, okay, great. We have this machine. It makes good coffee. It actually pays for itself, or so Kamal posits here. And so that's why Eversys machines have totally taken over the world. They're in every cafe you go to. Except... Uh, yeah, have they? Of course not. They remain a relatively... They have a relatively small slice of the market today. That sounds a little strange to me. Does it not to you? Yes, it would appear so, but then... The thing about the specialty coffee world is that uh, technology is not always embraced. What do you mean? How so? Well, to answer that, I got on the phone with an old friend of mine. Hyland Joseph, I'm West Coast Operations Director for Espresso Partners, and I'm also the former chair and one of the founders for the Coffee Technicians Guild. So Hyland has been in coffee for a very long time. I've been in coffee since 1982. So I've literally always been in coffee. 
since the dawn of coffee. First there were the goats in Africa, and then there was Highland. And then there was Highland. It is true though, that's a very long tenure in this industry, and it has given him a pretty cool perspective. So I asked him about how things have changed. Imagine you're walking into a cafe back in the early 90s. What would you see from a technological standpoint? So, POS systems were always almost a Casio or a Sanyo 10-key register. I don't know what any of those words mean. Is that English? <laughs> POS means point of sale. So, a, a Sanyo or Casio 10-key is a really rudimentary cash register system. Ah, uh, yes, the money machine. Old cash registers were cool, by the way. They made little noises like ding, ding. It was really great. The cha-ching sound. The cha-ching sound. That's right. <laughs> Youth of the earth. Cha-ching comes from cash registers. <laughs> I'm glad we we cleared that up. <laughs> okay, and so, and then today... Everybody's using an iPad with um, Square. So we went from manual cash registers to iPads and fully automatic points of sale. I don't and then here's another thing that's changed a lot. How is the music in the cafe playing? Mm. On a flip phone inside of a court container? Better. <laughs> music, you had your five CD players, and then right below your five CD All the variety a person needs in the cafe and their car. <laughs> and so today, instead of five CD players... It's all, it's all, I mean, every cafe I've been in has been Spotify. It's all Spotify with someone's iPad, with someone's iPhone. That's like my house. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I have two kids, so it's actually a Spotify that's playing uh, Burl Ives' Little White Duck on repeat for five hours a day. Delightful. There's a little white duck <laughs> sitting in the water. Okay, moving on. So point of sale systems, music systems, uh, the specialty coffee world has fully embraced them. So then what about coffee? How has coffee automation progressed? Okay, so let's start with the most basic way of making coffee, which is brewed coffee. Pour over, pour over cups were all the rage, where you would literally, literally stand there at the counter and pour pour over from a hot water tower coffee and then the coffee. And the batch brewer, the way that you got drip coffee, it used to be like a really simple water boiler that dripped hot water on top of a bed of coffee. Yeah. Like the simplest thing you can imagine. And then today, it looks totally different. But it's the vacuum brewer that recycles, it cycles the brew through the system several times and through a heating element. It's like the boiler's under the counter so you can't see it. And the water temperature in the boiler is controlled by fuzzy logic. And there's a special pump to get it up that isn't subject to cavitation. Sorry, I'm a tech, so you have to just excuse <laughs> a little jargon. Just take it from me, it got a lot more complicated. Thing is, it's, like, it's like an experience watching it. So what about espresso machines and roasters? Okay, so um, I asked him a little bit about what the roaster was like back in the day. Roasters, it would be the old Diedrich or the Probat that you you bought from some old guy that was from 1960. Yeah, Only from some old guy. Yeah, it's that's, true, actually. That's yeah. where, all, where all Probats and Diedrichs come from and where they all go to die. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually, that has been my lived experience, right? So at any rate, it was an old machine, an old roasting machine. And let's fast forward to today and talk about what kind of roasting machines you might find in a cafe. I mean, if you have a coffee shop like an old Probat Fire Engine Red from 1975, it's rare. Oh, so business as usual. <laughs> yeah, Liz, you're kind of right on the money there. I asked, him, I asked him point blank what sort of technological advancements have been made in roasting machines. How different is the Diedrich and Probat that might be in use today at one of these cafes from the Diedrich or Probat that might have been used in the 90s? 
they're just a little smaller. They're not, there's not much of a difference. The engineering hasn't changed very much. Yeah, so I guess you could say that what we've done in sort of making an automatic coffee roaster did for coffee roasting what Everest is doing to espresso machines. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. Full disclaimer, we are not neutral observers of this debate. (laughs) But Liz, that's the point. You know, unlike the music system or unlike the point of sale system, unlike the batch brew system, Uh, Technology hasn't been fully embraced yet when it comes to roasting. Well, what about the espresso side? Machines back in the day were very simple. It was always a single boiler with like those massive old copper boilers, then the internal solenoid. There was the the minimal, there was minimal electronics. It was the- Okay, so it's basically like a a thing that makes water hot with a pump and a switch. I mean, honestly, That's the core function of any espresso machine today, really. Yeah, but as somebody who's worked on a lot of espresso machines, they did get a lot better, okay? They got a lot more complicated. Now, every espresso machine has a digital board, a control board, it has a PID, it has several vacuum breakers. Espresso machines are a thousand times more complicated than they were when I first started out. So actually, espresso machines have become way more technologically advanced, right? But they're still being operated by a barista. So it isn't like there's no technology that's come into that space, but there hasn't been full adoption. We know that that the barista is not specifically necessary to produce a good shot of espresso or a good cup of coffee. The Eversys is doing everything that a well-trained barista might do. And Liz, this is the part of the story that I really wanted to explore. Why has the industry not fully adopted super automatic espresso machines? Well, or no, I assume the first reason is that the coffee's not as good as can be made by a barista. Well, you know, we heard Kamal earlier um, say that legacy espresso machine manufacturers were shocked by the quality of the coffee. And I'll just say personally, I was really shocked the first time that I had a good shot of espresso from a super automatic espresso machine. Hmm. But, you know, in my experience, there are definitely some baristas out there, like a really, really good elite baristas that are very dedicated to their craft, and they will always be better. They'll always be better than any super automatic espresso machine. But that's really the top 10%, maybe. And with tens of thousands of independent cafes in the U.S., not every single one of them is going to be able to hire or have access to elite baristas, and they still want to serve good coffee. They want to serve great coffee, and they might need help. Exactly. The business rationale here is so compelling. Why haven't super automatics been fully embraced? I pressed Highland on this. Every major corporation in the next 10 years, every large-scale coffee operation will will ultimately switch over to super automatics. Why? It saves on training. You know, I mean, I'm a big fan of Pete's Coffee and Tea because I I can get the same cup of coffee anywhere. And that's why large-scale operations will always go towards the super automatics. So Highland's basically saying that big business gets it. And they're going to be bringing in super automatics. But this big business community is not really the community we're talking about. We're talking about independent specialty coffee shops. And there... The automation you're talking about, I think, is still seen as very much a food service aspect of our industry. So pressing a button and making a drink is still stigmatized in what we do. Even some of the machines that make a decent espresso. Stigmatized? So if big business has already essentially paved the way by saying the economics of this are the only thing that makes sense for the cafe to 
make money sustainably, then why is there still a stigma among independent businesses who arguably need that margin even more? That's right. Like if you're an independent cafe, you need all the help. So why wouldn't you take advantage of this? I I asked Highland. Humans in general are going to resist automation, no matter what, because your inconsistencies, that might actually add to the personality of the coffee. But that's the argument you're going to get because people are biased and people are always biased. I can do it better because I'm a human. Right. Maybe that's the solution in our industry is you get the feeling is where you want to create that nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the nostalgia or the things that nostalgia does for us, which is I think nostalgia makes us feel comfortable. It makes us feel rooted in the past. Right. Safe, too. That is the word, my friend. <laughs> That's the word. I, I, I find as I'm getting older, I'm using that word a lot because it, you feel secure. You feel safe. People get rattled with change because we're handed it so much. And a coffee shop that doesn't change where you get your same cup a day is safe. It's secure. It makes you feel comfortable. Hmm. Yeah, it's back to doing that emotional job. Well, you know, the one thing that a machine cannot deliver is humanity. And I think that what Highland is really pointing out here is that humanity and the feelings of safety that we as humans get from from other humans, they're an important part of the cup of coffee that you get. So, Arno, I feel like a proxy word for this is craft. You know, we hear the word craft a lot, uh, and I think it usually evokes, um, you know, something handmade, right? But I think it also... Uh, on its other face uh, is a synonym for inconsistency. So maybe that's what differentiates independent cafes from, you know, the big box coffee shops, right? Is craft, which we could also say potentially means more inconsistency, but a more human experience. I think that's exactly the heart of it. Push button automatics, precisely because they're really consistent, they don't really express craft. And craft is something that we think about as expressing humanity. Right. And actually, like, Kamal admitted that this is a problem that Eversys has and has been trying to resolve. If we go back to 2013 at that conference where he kind of had just shown like, ha my, my quality is just as good as yours, right? Well, he still had a problem. But you have not won the hearts or the minds of the market. You know what this reminds me of is when digital cameras had to reintroduce a fake shutter sound so that people knew it was taking a picture or a car that is too quiet will actually have to manufacture a fake engine starting noise so that you know your car has turned on. I think there's a lot of these sort of signals of what we recognize and what we're comfortable with. And especially coffee, those signals have to signify craft and authenticity, which means a high quality product. And, you know, to some extent, yeah, I, I get it. I get why maybe doing the more manual thing is what feels better, whether it makes sense economically or not, or whether it's really working. So Kamal said that they actually had to go back and redesign their machine hmm. so that, that it would help cafes connect emotionally with their customers. Did they put some little eyelashes uh, on <laughs> So here's what Kamal actually did. It had to be visually appealing. It had to be a machine that people could calibrate the same way they could calibrate a traditional machine. They had the ability to be fully manual if they wanted to, or they had the ability to be fully automatic if they wanted to override the system. We had to look at design. We had to also look at making it bespoke, you know, creating different colors, creating, you know, really adapting the machine 
to being an extension of the brand that was using that machine in its environment. This is fascinating. So even though the technology exists to replace the need for any manual inputs, just having the option was more comforting to people, whether or not they used the option to operate it manually. It had to prove that this machine could actually deliver craft. So Kamal is telling us that they changed the machine to try and be more amenable to the idea of craft, but it's still not the dominant solution. The dominant solution is still a high quality manual espresso machine. And I think we should also just say out loud that there is still no recipe for taking this leap. Sure. I mean, I think what he's pointing out is that a cafe is not just a place of commerce. Right. And acting as though the economics of a business are the only thing that are important uh, maybe misses the the motivation of a coffee buyer or a customer. Right, right. I think he's he's really gotten down to the point where like cafes don't just deliver coffee. Cafes deliver emotional experiences. That's a major part of the value proposition. And the old Eversys was getting in the way of that. So they're now trying to tackle that problem, right? And Kamal had a, a very specific point of view about the challenges that people using automatic machines might face. He thinks it's about fear. Hmm. When you talk to people who have made the switch and they said, we used to do everything manually, but we've seen the light and now we're going to do it automatically. What drove them to finally switch? Well, I can tell you unanimously, they all say I should have done this earlier. Why they do the switch? It's with fear and trembling at first. You know, it's like if you don't know how to swim and you go for your first swimming lesson and you go in and you put your big toe in the water and you find every excuse in the book to not go in. But eventually you jump in and you realize that actually the stigma of super automatism was really not real. It was just an idea that had been planted in your mind. You know, it's like any fear. The fears only exist in our mind until we confront them. And then all of a sudden they vanish. I think that what Kamal is talking about here, Liz, is that it's really, really scary to leave the script. Yeah. And there is kind of a script for people who open cafes. Like if you were to hire a consultant, here's what they would tell you. You're going to get a high quality manual espresso machine. Uh, many people have to name a common object. They have an EK43, a specific grinder from Mal Koenig on their bar, because they know that that says to customers, I'm into craft coffee. I make high quality coffee. I'm not saying that every cafe is the same. That's absolutely not the case. But when you talk about conveying quality, there's definitely a playbook. Sure. I mean, and th but this also relates to how stressful it is to operate a cafe at all, right? Like there's tons of fear. There's tons of anxiety. You're always questioning yourself. That's right. Entrepreneurship is, is by its very definition terrifying, right? <laughs> yeah. It means you're leaving the security of a, a position where somebody else gives you a paycheck that regularly arrives and you're going to go out and do your own thing and there is no net anymore. Well, you're on the hook, not just financially, but almost like it's like your personhood yep. is on the hook. Right. <laughs> like for me, own, owning a cafe, that was actually the most surprising stressor was how vulnerable I felt in my identity. Yeah, Liz, you know, and if you're feeling vulnerable, if you're feeling uncertain about your financials, like we said before, there's a certain playbook for specialty coffee cafes. Uh, and it says, for instance, you're going to get a certain kind of machine to make espresso and uh, you're going to get a certain kind of grinder for your drip. 
And if you follow that path, then the perceived wisdom is you will have a successful business based upon your quality, right? And if you don't follow that path, and if you operate in ways which are different from other people in the industry, your professional credibility or maybe even your reputation is on the line within the specialty coffee community. Okay, Liz, so let me just recap this episode so far. We started with the Eversys. It's this super innovative technology. The manufacturer claims that it can stand up to legacy coffee machine manufacturers in terms of quality, right? But you know, it hasn't been fully adopted, which is kind of counterintuitive because it produces a very high quality product really consistently, right? It should be good for your cafe's economics. So it has these benefits for your cafe, but the fact that the Eversys hasn't been widely adopted shouldn't actually come as a surprise at all. We explored with Highland in the history of specialty coffee at the cafe level, these past 30 years, a lot of innovations have not been adopted, right? Especially in the roasting space. And that's where we are, of course, innovative. And also when it comes to espresso machines and kind of bar workflow, we think it might come down to fear. It's a fear of many things. It's a fear that your customers won't like you because you're not coming across as, as possessing craft or being authentic. But it's also the fear that the industry will judge you for changing the role of the barista because we all love baristas, right? It's the fear of having to create a new business model to accommodate this technology. And most of all, I think there's just like not a playbook for adopting this technology and making it run your cafe in the same way that there might be for a normal manual espresso machine. But Liz, I'm gonna bring you back to the future. I interviewed a customer of Eversys who has fully embraced technology in this really fascinating way and has done so while consciously tending to that human connection. So, you know, if you're out there and you're thinking about opening a cafe, or if you're curious about such things, I think that our next interviewee has an alternate template from the, the sort of one that most people are following right now. There is a catch to this new template, and we'll touch on that right at the end. Is the catch that you can do everything right and uh, still not feel secure at the end of the day? I'm, I'm not going to tell you what the catch is until the end, Liz, because uh, it's important for this podcast that we maintain suspense. <laughs> so let me introduce you to Jai. So my name is Jai Lott. I have an interesting title. I'm head of experience for Blank Street. But essentially my role is anything that our customers look at or interact with, touch, see. So whether it's like fit outs of store, the designs, the coffee they're drinking, bit of marketing stuff. It's a very, very um, broad role. Wow. Coffee as an industry has grown to support a head of experience. This place rules. Let's keep it light here. I'm the chief coffee officer, which is also kind of a crazy title. So um, this titles. is giving me extreme hope that I have no reason to hold on to. I love let's let's get into it. Okay. <laughs> So let's, uh, let's go into a, a little background on Jai. So before Blank Street, his current gig. Prior to that, I had ran a coffee side of a company called Bluestone Lane. Joined that when we had four locations, became its coffee director and part of the executive team at like location six. And when I ended up leaving, we had 52 locations across the US that we had grown within like four years and change. I mean, I had an army of 600 baristas 15,000 drinks a day across America up until last year, I was in charge of all quality control. If there's one bad Yelp review, the CEO would come for me. There's a lot in there that I want to unpack. Yeah. Not just 600 yeah. baristas. Uh, there's 15,000 drinks a day. It is actually an unfathomable number to me. It's. It, I really do think that the military analogy fits. I can just sort of imagine like 
an array of 600 baristas on the hillside across from me. And they all set up their espresso machines and start sending lattes over to me, 600 a minute. It would be, it is very impressive. Yeah, I mean, this actually sounds like a pretty high-powered role in coffee. That's not something you stumble into by being a good barista. What's Jai's background in coffee that got him qualified to be in charge of all quality control for a company like that? Okay, so this is really interesting. Jai actually has a trajectory and an origin story that really speaks to authenticity. Hmm. I come from a world where I, I was taught how to make coffee by Toby of Toby's Estate. Of course, Liz, Toby's Estate is one of Australia's first and largest specialty coffee roasters. The Australian specialty coffee scene owes a lot to Toby's Estate. I don't know if that paints a picture of how long ago this was. It was 2002. It was before Toby's Estate was even a thing, but it was, you know, tamp, hit the porter filter twice on the side with the tamp, tamp it again, put it in, like your dosing was fill the basket, wipe your finger across, that's the right amount of coffee. Like, I've done everything. Like, that was 16-year-old Jai. Wow, that, like, gave me serious flashbacks. I know, I know. <laughs> Liz and I are like, yeah, we did that too. So now he's onto a company called Blank Street. What's their deal? So Blank Street is doing something really, really different, okay? They've developed these, like, cafe pods that they're locating throughout the city in New York. And they're totally electrically powered, powered by batteries, actually. Hmm. Uh, the espresso machine on board is an Eversys, right? So the barista comes in, they dial in their machine, but then they can just push a few buttons and the drink comes out, right? The espresso side's totally taken care of by the machine. So if a barista's not focused on pulling shots, um, does that mean that almost anyone can be a barista? Do you still have to have the same level of skill? It is absolutely not the case that anyone can be a barista here. Jai actually is pretty picky about who he hires. One thing is that the barista still has to be able to like steam alternative milks, that, which is challenging to do sometimes, right? Um, they have to be able to pour latte art. They still are, have barista skills there. Hmm. But they do have more time to do something that's really key to every cafe, which is to interact with customers and to establish that relationship of mutual affection and trust with customers. Yeah, so what does that actually look like in the cafe setting? So basically... The baristas we have, we have two of them in a cart. They average between $29 and $36 an hour at the end of the day each. They do a 10-hour shift. So they make insane money. And the reason why they're making such great money is because of the customer service. So people are coming up and being like, hi, can I get a latte? And you go, cool, no worries. Press double espresso, press the whole milk button. So anyway, what are you guys up to today? What are we doing? Blah, 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 blah. Did you want to get a taco? Do you want to get a croissant? And like you're having the conversation and while, you know, the 40 seconds of grinding and tamping and extraction is happening, you're then processing the payment and then the tip is at the end. So of course people are going to tip you if you're making their day enjoyable just from the conversation sides. What I love about this is that Jai's model enables the barista to connect with a customer. I think that many baristas do get into the job because they like socializing with customers. But if you are also required to like live, do this chemistry thing of trying to ex properly extract espresso and properly steam milk and pour latte art and clean as you go, right? It's just too much. And the, the human brain cannot do that while also delivering the very pinnacle of customer service. Yeah, it's like the barista is a host. The barista is a host. I yes. love this. Yes, the barista is a human, I think, is the, the idea here, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. that's actually, in a sense, kind of beautiful. 
okay, great. Everyone's having a very lovely time, but how's the coffee? Well, Jai said he thinks it's better. Yeah, I, I don't think we're sacrificing anything with quality at all. So let's Jai actually put this to the test, right? Here's what he did. He got his two best baristas and then he took himself and uh, he was on the Eversys and his two best baristas were on this like top-notch legacy specialty coffee setup, right? It's a grinder, a two-group espresso machine, and then go. And the idea was who could produce the most consistently good lattes the fastest? Generally speaking, I would say 90 out of 100 lattes would have come out pretty much right on, whereas with the team, it was maybe 60. So the point here is, Liz, there were two people, really, really good baristas, that were using a, a pretty normal, classic, legacy manual espresso machine and grinder. And their, their lattes were good 60 times out of 100, which, by the way, is actually pretty good. Jai was all by himself with a super automatic, and his were good 90 out of 100 times. And he was faster. Okay, so I get that, you know, maybe the coffees came out faster and a little more consistent, but... To me, pressing a button still doesn't feel very authentic. Doesn't It feels like it lacks something. Liz, you totally hit that nail on the head, you know, because Jai doesn't use the espresso machine to convey authenticity or craft, those positive emotions. He has other ways to showcase that. Hmm. They're coming for a couple of reasons. One is because our staff are so customer-centric, I think they're coming for that and the look and feel of, like, the, the build-outs and the brand and that sort of stuff. And the people that are coming for the coffee, they're seeing, like, we have Parlor displayed proudly. Parlor is a well-known specialty coffee company out of New York. And we have, like, underneath Blank Street in almost as bigger letters, we have proudly serving Parlor Coffee, King Street Bakery. Like, we, we have, like, our local partners. But um, it looks and feels like a specialty coffee shop because it is a specialty coffee shop. So we didn't really need to like create those those moments too much. Like there is still a, an espresso machine sitting on the bar when you walk in. It still smells like coffee. It still has similar, you know, music and still the menu. It's the exact same menu you would see in almost anywhere else in the States or in the world. So it's almost like he's found a way to actually focus his cafe around the relationships that he thinks are important. You know, the community building aspect of a coffee shop, which is these are our local partners and you are our local customers and we're here to serve you. I mean, I also think it's fascinating that he didn't put too fine a point on this, but my take was that customers don't really care that the machine is automatic. Is that right? Am I reading that right? Well, I would I would phrase it a little bit differently. I think that what Jai has found out or what Jai is doing here is um, everybody else is kind of leaning on their espresso machine to convey authenticity and quality. And Jai has just found alternate means to send the same message. Yeah. So if I'm the type of coffee drinker that really wants to just get my morning latte and have a chat and be on my way, this sounds perfect. But what if I'm the type of coffee drinker that wants to go in and try a couple of different types of single origin, you know, maybe something super special, something esoteric. Is there a place for that type of experience here? Well, I told you that there was a catch with Jai's model. Sure. Jai really spoke about how Blank Street is not for that customer that wants like a, a forest grown Ethiopian coffee or a carbonic macerated Nariño or something like that. It's for the person who loves 
their blend or their latte or their filter coffee or their cold brew or their Arnold Palmer, whatever it is, like, and they want consistency uh, and they want it every day. We're not trying to position ourselves at all as somewhere where like the coffee connoisseur should come every morning and try a broad range of different origins on bar. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, like Highland thinks that large chains are all going to embrace super automatics like the Eversys. And the thing that Jai is pointing out here is that super automatics can deliver a really dependable coffee experience, but it's really not much for the coffee adventurer, right? And so for the coffee shop owner, there's a bit of a question about who your customer is, right? Do you have customers that primarily want the same drink every day delivered in a very safe and consistent environment? Or do you have people that are really prizing the individual unique humanity and all of the special things that coffee could taste like with really, really well-trained baristas. And Chai said he's worked for those cafes that offer the more adventurous experience that have so many different coffees on bar. I've worked in places where we had like seven, 17, 18 different single origins on at all times. And it was like... They must just get stale. It was just crazy. But it just, it never tasted right because there was just so much. Like there was 17 like little Marza minis, the little e-grinders, and we had them all like lined up. And then we had our actual program on the front. But the amount of times that someone would like come in and order like a yoga chef, it's like once a month. I'll say this like... I think the pour over bar at a cafe is a great example of this. I think a lot of people want to be good at it. I have only in my hundred years in coffee seen one cafe do a great job having the pour over replace batch brew as their only brewed coffee option and not miss a beat. And it's because they have 10 staff members behind the bar at any time and they have it so dialed that you don't recognize the difference in time or consistency. But this that he's describing sounds like a recipe for inconsistency. And that stresses me out. I mean, I think you and I both are people who might actually like to go, like if there was a coffee shop down the street for me that had 18 different coffees, I would definitely go there at least 17 times to try <laughs> stuff out, right? So I, I totally, I agree with Jai. I'm, I am that kind of customer, but at the same time, you know, I agree with you seeing it from the back end, it's very, very hard to make this kind of program work. The amount of intentionality and training expense is just really high. Well, also, what if someone quits? Absolutely. What if you're in a college town and your staff changes every nine months? I think the college town example is um, is a really, really good one because baristas, um, it's a skilled position. It's actually skilled labor, right? And so you need to train somebody for a long time. But baristas are notoriously high turnover employees Yeah. in almost every situation. It takes an interesting turn, right? When you get to imagine like, what could I do if I didn't have to make every drink from scratch by hand? Like right. what actually does that free you up to do in your cafe? I mean, a lot of cat, a lot of business owners don't say that they get into the business because they love, you know, tamping espresso, right? They get into the business because they want to commune with their customers. They want to share a vision. They love, they want to have, be a space for art. You know, it sounds like there are a lot of reasons, compelling reasons that folks would want to use a manual espresso machine still or a manual roaster. But also that I don't think there's a small part of that that might have to do with either fear of change or resistance to the unknown. And I think that what Jai is sort of proving through his model at Blank Street is that he's calling us from the other side. Jai's business is a craft business. 
And it's a great specialty coffee experience. And the craft and the experience both come from places that are not the act of pulling a shot of espresso. So this path of automation, like it's very counterintuitive. You first hear about it and you're like, oh, like that's a path that leads to sameness, a path that leads to uniformity and boringness, a path that lacks authenticity and craft. But actually what Jai is saying here is you should take an automation because it has a ton of advantages for you and your customer. And if you do it well, you get to be extremely creative and break free from the mold and find other ways of doing this work right? Other ways of conveying the experience. I find that very inspiring. And, uh, you know, everybody who starts a cafe, everybody who's an entrepreneur has to be quite brave. And this is just asking for one more, like go back to the well for a little bit more bravery, a little bit more individualism, right? A little bit more of the things that really make us start businesses in the first place, because the payoffs are pretty big. This podcast was produced by James Harper of Filter Productions. Music by Eli Nelson. Here at Bellwether, we make the world's first zero emissions commercial coffee roaster. So anyone who wants to can roast for themselves, whether you have experience or training or permitting or any of the rest. We're here for you. We put links to all the interviewees, social media, and the show notes, and links to articles we've written at Bellwether if you want to go deeper on anything we discussed today. And wherever you are in the industry, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can drop us a line, connect at bellwethercoffee.com, or we are online and social media at Bellwether Coffee. Okay, and so if you like this show, share it with your friends who love coffee, and, and maybe even force your friends who drink tea to listen to it so that they can learn the error of their ways. Also, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. In our next episode, we're investigating why climate change is such a problem for coffee farmers. Uh, We're going to explore where carbon is found in the coffee supply chain and what we can do to reduce it. It is exhausting work, but I think it is absolutely worthwhile because you really do have a voice that people care to hear and want to trust. But until then, take care of yourself out there and uh, we'll talk to you next time.